Hi everybody and welcome to the ARC360 podcast. Alright, so we're on week number 18, so webinar 18 for us now, uh, continuing to track the re-emergence of the automotive incident repair industry. And we've got a fantastic lineup of uh, contributors again today. We've got Andy Lawler, Business Development Director of Motorfix Accident Repair Centres, Jane Pocock, Managing Director, UK and Ireland Copart, and Dave Thompson, Director of Claims at Tesco Underwriting. As per usual, huge thank you to our corporate partners and our partners for continuing to support ARC360's activities. They are ASIS, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance and SNG Response. And of course our partners, the Green Part Specialists in DASA and the Innovation Group. Hope you enjoy this fantastic uh, conversation and again further insights into the evolution of the industry. So we will get ourselves started. So huge thank you as always to our corporate partners and our partners for continuing to support our efforts in uh, keeping the industry updated and informed uh, during this very challenging time. Uh, This is webinar 18 so we've obviously tracked uh, things since lockdown throughout lockdown and then as we start to re-emerge so big thank you to ASIS, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, SNG Response and our partners the Green Part Specialists in DASA and the Innovation Group. So Before every webinar, we like to uh, read our little disclaimer. Um, So the views and opinions expressed during the following webinar are those of the individual contributors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the contributors, employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Please respect any all contributions and we encourage you to join the conversation via the interactive functions available. You would have thought I would have known that off by heart now, having done it for 18 weeks, but I don't. And joining us today, today's panellists, we've got Andy Lawler, Business Development Director at Motorfix Accident Repair Centres. We've got Jane Pocock, Managing Director, UK and Ireland of Copart. And we've got Dave Thompson, Director of Claims at Tesco Underwriting. Welcome, welcome all. So we'll uh, let you uh, introduce yourselves if we can and i'll come across to you first andy if i may so just give us a little bit of an insight who is andy lawler for those who don't know and uh you know what's been happening in in recent weeks okay well firstly good afternoon everybody um my name is andy lawler i'm the business development director for motorfix group um <clears throat> a bit about the group for those who don't know us we're um a regionally based uh uh, accident repair group, uh, predominantly based in the home counties and the southwest. Um, who do we work for? Our customers are fundamentally blue chip companies, main insurers, and uh, fleet management companies. Um, in terms of what we offer, fundamentally we offer you know, regionally based repair solutions for uh, cars and light commercial vehicles. Um, if I was to try and summarise Motorfix for people who don't know us, really, our focus is very much all about the customer journey, and we invest very heavily in that. And um, yeah, that's uh, hopefully giving you a bit of a, an oversight of Motorfix, who we are, what we do, and where we operate. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Andy and Jane. If I can come across to you there. Hi everyone. Um, I'm Jane Pocock. I'm from Copart UK. 
Um, we are one of the largest salvage operators um, in the world. And basically in the UK, we've got 16 sites um, of which we operate, giving us national coverage. Um, we have a branded fleet of transporters that go and collect total loss vehicles around the UK um, from policyholders, addresses, or from body shops um, and recovery agents and bring them back to our bases. Um, we then um, put the vehicles into auction and use our digital platforms to realise the best returns for the insurance industry. Super stuff. Now, Jane, I did see recently in a meeting you were doing a C, weren't you? Come on, show us it. C yeah. for Copart. I saw that. Yes. Oh, yeah. There we go. Good. Right. I'm glad you can do that. Okay. That was the first test for you. Oh. And Dave, if I come across to you in terms of uh, your role uh, within uh, Tesco and uh, obviously what, you know, a little bit in terms of what you've seen in recent weeks. Yeah, uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, so uh, my role in Tesco is uh, Director of Claims. Uh, just a little bit about Tesco underwriting. We are direct home and motor insurers for the UK. Uh, we are split located in the UK with our head offices in Rygate. Uh, and our claims centre based up in Newcastle upon Tyne, where I'm based. Uh, over the recent period, we have uh, had our Rygate colleagues working entirely from home, had our Newcastle colleagues working predominantly from home, but maintained some essential telephony services from the office, uh, but being able to, to service the customers uh, within our appetites, given the reduced frequencies, which I'm sure we'll come on to in a little more detail, over that time, but I do know I'm uh, on most Zoom calls recently, one of the few people who is predominantly in the office. Most people uh, I speak to uh, over recent weeks tend to be working from home, uh, but uh, certainly we've maintained that small office presence to uh, keep the uh, business continuity and service to our customers. Tesco Underwriting as a brand, obviously part of the wider Tesco group, our central focus is providing a customer-centric uh, service to customers and putting that at the heart of all of our decisions, which again, I'm sure we'll come on to and discuss in more detail some specific examples later. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Dave. Now, uh, again, with the webinars, what we usually do is just jump across to our uh, weekly data insights. So if we have a little look and obviously CAPS data has moved across to monthly. So we'll have that in a couple of weeks time. We'll be sharing that. Um, but in terms of the integral data, uh, which is shared with us on a weekly basis um, by Ollie Chambers and the team there. So the heat map, again, just uh, some clear sort of an obvious, if you like, regions, the darker the colour, um, the higher the claims volume counts. And so you can see, if you like, the M1 or motorway corridor linking um, north to the south. There is uh, pretty active at the moment. And overall, we've got uh, minus 7% decrease week-in-week -week claims volumes. This is of last week. Uh, a 42% increase in month-on-month -month claims volumes, 7% of the volume coming from new hotspots. And again, that's spread across 346 postcodes. And the new hotspots are Romford, Weybridge, High Wycombe, York, Southampton, and Poole. And just to reiterate, that data is pulled from enterprise customers. Uh, so those claims requiring an enterprise rental, which equates to about a third of all claims, uh, plus the addition of its own claims business data, which handles claims for brokers. And the postal hotspots, the actual postcodes, RM7, KT13, HP11, 
YO24, SO15, BH14. And the top six volume postcodes, EH6, E12, HA3, RM3, G58, and NW9. Okay. So let's come back to you. You've just uh, obviously seen the data there. Um, and we've, uh, if you like, we've mentioned Apple um, frequency of travel um, in terms of uh, where volumes are going. Dave, and I'll come across to you first. Is there any kind of, you know, surprises, shocks in there? Um, and what are you finding within your own business at the moment? I think uh, the decrease in 7% week on week, I would say, uh, doesn't tally with uh, with TU figures, but it, we, we'd say it's probably been broadly flat in the uh, Tesco underwriting world in terms of motor claims frequency over that same sort of comparison. I think the, the bigger picture uh, is seeing a slow and gradual return on the, the frequency side of the stats from the, I think a lot of re insurers reported April being something like 70% down on pre-COVID levels. Uh, in that world, we've seen that gradually increase month on month since then, but at a fairly slow rate. And these last couple of weeks have not seen significant increases. So I think that probably tells a similar story. Uh, I think uh, our expectation going forward is to see that continue. I don't think we're expecting any step change or sharp increases uh, given consumer behaviours and the messages from the government at the moment. But I think that uh, that gradual increase is something that we're planning for in our sort of uh, workforce planning going forward and uh, preparations for the coming months. Okay, fantastic. Andy, I'll come across to you in terms of, um, you know, what you've just seen there uh, and in terms of your own experiences within the business. Yeah, I think, um, you know, before we went into lockdown, we had a, you know, a very strong forward diary. Uh, within our business, we saw claims drop to sort of 25% of what would be normal. Um, yeah, and I concur with what's been said there. You know, we've seen it gradually grow back up. Um, we're currently tracking at sort of between 60, 67% of um, what we'd expect to see pre-COVID. So pretty consistent with what Dave's saying. Looking forward, I'd, I'd agree. You know, I don't see any real step change um, in any way, shape or form. You know, within the business, we're kind of thinking that the market for us into Q4, Q1 is going to be looking at probably 70, at best 75% of uh, pre-COVID claims volumes. And uh, that's kind of where we're centering our planning in the business. Okay. And are you experiencing, you know, fluctuations week on week? Um, again, referencing obviously the data that we've seen, not necessarily to that degree, but uh, is it a bit stop and start at the moment? Yeah, we always have a, you have a strong Monday. And then as you travel through the week, that starts to just, um, you know, taper off, uh, there's no rhyme or reason to it. You can't, it's very hard to put your finger on it. Um, it's not one customer or one particular insurer. It's just a real mix across the board. I mean, this Monday we had a, a real spike in volume that was um, ever so slightly more than what we'd expect on a Monday in terms of uh, pre-COVID. So, um, yeah, very hard to sort of uh, fathom out where it's coming from or what's driving it. But, uh, yeah, to say it's erratic would be a fair statement. Okay. Fantastic. All right. And we've got, if you like, the whole sort of continuum here. So we've, we've obviously got uh, Dave, who, who starts all of this uh, process. We've got Andy, who does the bit in the middle and, uh, and Jane, the piece at the end, I suppose. Um, so how are you finding uh, things and volumes right now in terms of the business yourself? Well, we've actually been quite busy. Um, we've 
At this moment in time, we're returning to about 65, 70% of our previous volumes. So we are um, experiencing collecting more total losses. And we're also seeing um, more customers come and join us that want to use our digital sales platform because they may previously have had a physical um, sales site. So we're definitely seeing a slight shift in the market there. So it's, um, it's encouraging, I think, from uh, you know, our perspective, because we obviously benefit from the processing of, um, of the accident claims and return of value to the insurers. So, so we're sort of fairly optimistic about um, returning to normal, probably thinking about across the next six months, we'll return to sort of 100% of where we were previously. So that's the sort of figures we're working on at the moment. Well, okay, fantastic. Um, and Dave, I'll come, come back to you with this one. So, you know, kind of let, let's put volume aside for one moment. Obviously, it's it's an absolute, you know, uh, key uh, aspect of the industry. But are there other sort of changes or trends you're observing uh, from your perspective that, that are, you know, different kind of, if you like, to what it was pre-COVID, whether that be customer behaviour, uh, whether it be type of accident, value of, of, you know, whatever it might be. What are you seeing out there? Uh, the short answer to that is yes. The long answer is in lots of different areas. Uh, we've seen uh, changing patterns. Uh, the scorecards that we use internally in the business are, uh, are all skewed and skewed because of COVID reasons that you can easily understand when you analyze things a bit further. I mean, some of the most obvious changes that we've seen uh, fairly uh, uh, immediately from the, the processes is obviously a, an increase in VRUs, vulnerable road users, so more accidents involving pedestrians and cyclists. So therefore, immediately, that's going to increase insurers' average severity per claim. Uh, if you're dealing with more claims involving those vulnerable people who don't have a, uh, a car around them to protect them from injury to some degree. Uh, so we're certainly seeing that and uh, all insurers are reporting that in the forums that I'm uh, involved in. Uh, and I think, I mean, we're seeing probably also uh, a decrease in some of the, the staged fraud because there isn't the opportunity with the uh, lack of vehicles on the road for uh, breaking in front of, uh, or there's certainly more risk attaching to being reported as uh, a fraudster in those circumstances, and most definitely a decrease in the sort of fraud where you would have uh, a car full of uh, individuals and four or five passengers uh, reporting on a single accident. So you see some, some things that are easily understood uh, and explained. I mean, as I touched on, we're also uh, household insurers. What you've seen in that world is, again, things you would expect. So an increase in accidental damage claims a decrease in large escape of water and large fire claims, uh, all related to occupancy levels of properties during this period. So I think what it's done is probably skew the scorecard in a lot of different ways. I think in terms of behaviours, what we saw at the start was the general sort of uh, goodwill of, uh, of the UK population coming through with, uh, with people being very understanding about new working practices. Uh, and I think we've seen that continue. Mm -hmm. I do fear that as time goes on, uh, that might wane somewhat, but we haven't really seen that as yet. Okay. And, and in terms of that, you, you obviously alluded to the fact that um, at the moment, uh, you, your two business or headquarters offices are, are kind of split. Rygate, uh, nobody back in the office yet. Uh, Newcastle, a few in. How are you kind of juggling that between, between the two sites and, and your, your employees, really? 
Yeah, well, I think we've got uh, the claims operations based in Newcastle. So all of our uh, direct customer facing teams are here. Uh, and some of the uh, individuals in pure telephony roles are the ones who are really uh, still coming into the office and performing those roles for customers in line with the, the FCA advice and the government's advice. Uh, and, uh, and that's really working, working well. And a lot of the back office functions that were based in Rygate, underwriting pricing and, and other back office functions, they can perform their tasks equally well from, from home uh, and following the government's advice of if you can work from home, you should work from home. There's a fairly natural split there. I think what we've seen in Newcastle is, is a development of new ways of working, a real sort of increase in flexibility and agility within our teams and workforce here and separation of some duties, some telephony and non-telephony so that we were able for most of our colleagues to work from home. But uh, I think what we found actually is our performance across the piece uh, and our customer service levels have been able to be maintained at a very high level. Actually, the NPS for the COVID period uh, increased over that period. So I think we've, uh, we've been able to hit our key mark of uh, protecting those essential customer services and keeping supporting Tesco customers when they have that hour of need in that sort of traumatic claim circumstance. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed, Dave. And I'll come across to you there, Jane. Um, you know, obviously kind of, I suppose, in essence, supporting some of what Dave said and, and in terms of the volumes you're seeing in the business, you know, what are you, what else are you witnessing, whether it be, you know, partnerships, who you're working with, whether it be actual customers themselves, you know, drivers who you're in contact with, are you noticing anything, you know, significantly different? Um, not so different. I think collaboration's been um, so much better. I think we've all been a bit more understanding of everybody's challenges. Um, what we've seen as a business is that we have been able to effectively work remotely for all of our head office staff and our contact centres, um, which has been a great test of our like business continuity plans, um, which we never thought we'd just sort of need to invoke. You know, we fully tested them and they've worked well. Um, so that's been a real positive. But we're seeing, you know, with I guess with the increase of cars on the road, we're seeing um, more people come to us to buy cars that can be fixed quickly and easily. So since the government said, um, please don't use public transport, use a car, we're seeing new buyers to our auctions buying cars that can be easily returned to the road um, or can be still be driven with very minor damage um, or people just generally returning back to the tools so people that have maybe been out of work or a furloughed have turned their hand to repairing cars and um, one of the things that we did that was sort of um, slightly different to normal is we accelerated our delivery offering so we've always did um sold cars online and then offered a delivery service but because people weren't allowed to make non-essential trips to come and buy them from us we invoked a delivery service so we've been able to keep people working um, in the background and then those vehicles have subsequently come back to us for sale you know post repair so that's something that's definitely accelerated um, during this time and um, and something I think will probably continue so that's been a positive um, from for our industry very interesting stuff and in terms of obviously uh, you know you've kind of uh, mentioned you're the, the world's largest salvage operation um how's you've been sharing information you know across the business as a whole um you know there have been lots of learnings that you've taken from other markets that your co-parts active in 
I think um, in the UK, we obviously had a very, very hard lockdown. So we went from sort of 100% to 30% of our volumes very quickly. And I think that was quite a shock to our um, US parent company that things could be quite so drastic. Um, they, their worst sort of situation was sort of down to 80% and they're now back at 90%. So they definitely, you know, as we know from watching the news anyway, they haven't had the same um, kind of rigorous controls that we've had in place. So I think it has varied. Um, mainland Europe has been not too dissimilar to the UK. So, so there's been some similarity there. But yeah, definitely, definitely Europe's taken a much harder line. And, we, you know, we've noticed that. But the majority of our company business is generated from the US. So, but it's been interesting comparing notes and, um, and some of the things we've done um, globally is we've created some technology um, quite quickly that's enabled people to book collection slots for vehicles um, in very in in sort of slots so it's enabled us to manage social distancing a lot more accurately and not have our yards um, too busy at any one time so there's lots of things we've done that have been quite innovative to um to fix the problems around the world so it's been interesting Yes, yeah, so as well, maybe just from, from our side, from you know, the accident repair sector side, we've certainly a couple of key observations for me is um, we've seen a huge amount of collaboration between um, us and our customers. You know, the way our staff have interacted with, you know, our um, insurance partners and uh, fleet management companies has just been really impressive on both sides. And, you know, it really be a good opportunity just to say thank you to that. It'd be, uh, you know, to, to our insurer partner staff and, take an opportunity to say thank you to our staff as well. Um, you know, that, that collaboration has just been, you know, really impressive. Um, uh, it'd be great to see that continue going forward. I think the other thing that we've seen is, um, you know, working with reduced staff levels. Um, people have found themselves in job roles that they wouldn't have normally been in. And the ability to adapt and to do those jobs in um, such difficult times has been, uh, you know, again, a real take home point for me. And, uh, you know, a bit about today is what do you see going forward in the future? And I think for me, one of the things I want to see in our business is we'll look to have a much more dynamic workforce, you know, not just single skilled people, but more multi-skilled people. And again, you know, a real take point is, you know, if this comes back and we go back to where we were, I think that'll be a real strength for us, a real learning out of what we've gone through in terms of having a, you know, as I say, a much more multi-skilled workforce that's, um, you know, got this sort of real can-do attitude and, and you know, can collaborate uh, in, in such short time frame. So, um, yeah, just to sort of support a couple of those points, just an observation from, from my side. That's great. And I think, you know, everyone is very, if you like, aware of how quickly everyone has moved uh, during this time. And I think we've probably surprised ourselves in terms of how quickly we can move um, and how successful that's been. So it's been a it's been a real learning curve for everyone. Mm-hmm. Now, coming back to you, Andy, in terms of obviously the Motorfix business, um, you stayed open th- throughout the entire pandemic. Um, what, if you like, you know, what have been your learnings from that, first and foremost? And also, you know, you're quite unique in terms of a group. Your geographical spread is is quite large for the number of sites that you've got. Um, so what have been your experiences of that, really? How has that uh, either played into your hands and or otherwise, um, you know, to the detriment of it? I suppose the first point is, um, <clears throat> you know, we took the, the decision very early to stay open. Um, you know, we looked at several different scenarios and really for us, that was the best decision. 
one of the key drivers in that was um, to think about our customers and the continuation of the service that we deliver for them. You know, they were still insuring cars. People were still out there. In the early days, there was all that support required for, you know, key workers, um, et cetera. So, yeah, we t- we, one of the key drivers for us to stay open was to ensure that we can continue a, a continuation of the delivery of service for our customers. Um, another thing that I looked at and we, we the business looked at was, you know, if we were to um, furlough a site in total, you know, the, the challenges of bringing that back from being in a mothballed situation are, are are quite onerous. So again, you know, look, taking that long-term view, those were kind of a couple of the key drivers for us to take that decision to stay open and, and work through. Um, yeah, what other learnings have we had? Um, I think the focusing, focusing on um, how we manage staff levels, resourcing, um, how we work across the group. You know, if you think about the geographical spread, you know, where we were finding challenges in one area, maybe that's through part supply, we were able to source it through another area. Um, another big challenge for us was the real spikes um, in terms of the mix of work, you know, certainly in the Southwest and pretty much across the group. Certainly South Africa, we saw a huge amount of um, heavily damaged cars, a lot of um, significant increase in write-offs. But again, to service our customers, we used, you know, things like our central services to redeploy work. I mean, it's, it's not... It's not cheap doing that, and that's a hit we have to take. But uh, again, you know, it's one of the strengths of having such a, you know, a wide footprint. You know, we operate, as I said, in the in the home counties. Um, you know, we've got eight centres across eight different counties stretching down to the southwest. So, you know, the geographical spread really does play to our strengths. Again, taking a view on the future. You know, if we do find ourselves in an unfortunate situation where we end up with regional lockdowns, again having such a widespread and the locations we operate in, I think is going to be uh, another reason why we'll be able to continue to service our customers in, in what is challenging times. And I think those challenging times are going to stretch out for quite a bit. So I think there are a couple, you know, two or three learnings in there for me in terms of, um, you know, how, we, how we've managed to trade through. Fantastic. All right. Great stuff. Now just referring to one of the questions again, it's specific in terms of, uh, what we've seen, and this one relates, uh, it's from Darren M. Twistle, relates to prestige vehicles involved in accidents. Um, you know, is there any kind of, you know, is there any been, been any notice in terms of, you know, differentiation in, in terms of type of vehicle involved? And you've just kind of alluded to geographical differences potentially, but Dave, I'll come, come to you on that one. Is there anything significant that jumps out in terms of the data that you, you've seen? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a movement in the data in our stats, but not significant. I guess there's a caveat to that in that we wouldn't be the biggest insurer of, uh, of prestige vehicles in the marketplace, not our, uh, not our target market generally. Uh, but in terms of, uh, and it would have the same effect in reality, in terms of third party vehicles that we're dealing with that might be prestige vehicles. Uh, yeah, I think some of what's what's said there I recognise, but I, I wouldn't say it's anything that jumps off the page for us. Yeah. All right, fair enough, no problem. Um, all right, so obviously, you know, three vastly different businesses that we, we've got uh, on joining us on the webinar today. What is there been any real standouts in terms of what this whole thing has highlighted about your own business, your role within the industry? And has it changed anything in terms of, you know, moving forwards, those relationships, how are you intending to do things? You know, this is kind of a little bit of a crystal ball gazing type thing. But, you know, is there anything that real stands out that you could say, yes, Copart now 
or Tesco's now or Motorfix now, you know, has changed in that way. Jane, if I can come to you first on that one. I think the, um, well, firstly, we quickly learned we were an essential um, service provider. So we, we quickly reacted um, to that. Um, yeah, our priority was to look at our staff and protect anyone that was vulnerable um, and apply the appropriate shielding to those and then issue PPE to our staff so that our drivers could carry on collecting and performing to the service standards that we're committed to. Um, so I think we learned very quickly how to manage our people and how to protect them. Um, and I was really impressed with how well um, we've worked together to make that happen and how caring we've been as an organization and also how supportive all of our insurance partners have been because you know they knew that we were out there at the front line and they've done everything they can to support us so we're um we're, we're really really grateful for that and um we've always had a digital process and a contactless handling process anyway so it's been really fortunate that that was all in place um, for us to utilize it. And again, if we did have a regional lockdown or some contamination in one of our sites, again, we have a fluid workload so we can just switch postcodes from one site to another. So again, it allows us that flexibility of, um, of having kind of a local lockdown. So we knew we were protected um, in that sense. Um, but I think the one thing that we have learned from this and is definitely something that we've improved on over the time and will generate in the future is our digital communication. You know, we've been very much an organization um, with a sales force that's gone out to meet and greet people. Um, we're incredibly social. And the one thing that we've done is um, implemented much more stringent digital communication to our, to our teammates internally um, to all of our insurance partners and all of our buyers. So we've had to interact with them because our buyers haven't been allowed inside um, some of our offices. So we've been communicating in different ways. And I think that's become really useful and certainly things that we will continue to do um, into the future. So um, I think it has been a, you know, although it's been an unfortunate time, it has been a great opportunity for us to accelerate learning and and invoke more digital processes. So um, I think going forward, um, you know, we've got lots of lots of new things to share with our partners that um, we probably would have maybe taken months and maybe years to develop. We've done in a much shorter space of time. So I think that's positive. And and also by having people remotely working and using kind of Zoom and Teams for communication, it has given people. A slightly better quality of life because the commute's not been there um you know longer hours or traveling um to meetings sort of a long way away that's all been removed so it has given people a break i guess um but we are still very much looking forward to to being allowed out and um and socializing <laughs> and and some certain things going back to normal yeah yeah absolutely and i think we've uh, you know we've alluded to it and weeks gone by how you know, this has accelerated a lot of business activity, what may have been on the radar 12, 18 months down the line, all of a sudden, you know, within six weeks has kind of been, has happened. Um, so I think that's certainly a case. And it will be very interesting, as you say, to, you know, when we are allowed, if you like, back to normal, 
you know, what bits stick, uh, what bits do we take with us, what bits do we leave behind? Um, and I think that's, you know, a journey that everyone's on at the moment. So it's really interesting stuff. Okay, so I hope you're enjoying the conversation to date. Again, some great contributions from Andy, Jane and Dave. And again, continuing to provide, you know, such an insight into the sector from all different perspectives. Um, so we've got the real sort of uh, continuum, if you like, of the industry from the very start uh, right through to the very end in, uh, in some cases. Huge thank you, as always, to our corporate partners, ASIS, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance and S&G Response. And to our partners, the Green Park Specialists in DASA and the Innovation Group. Enjoy the rest of this podcast. And Andy, um, you know, it's the same question to yourself, really. Um, you've obviously alluded to the fact that, you know, agile workforce maybe, you know, is one of the keys moving ahead um, for the repair business. Is there anything else that, you know, specifically stands out? Um, I think one of the things we've seen um, when I reflect upon where we're at, well, you know, looking back and where we are now, yeah, I probably covered off a couple of points earlier in terms of, you know, people moving to roles, the, the flexibility. But again, something that came through to the fore to me was the level of staff engagement that we've had. Um, yeah, that's, um, that's been quite, a, you know, uh, quite an interesting one. You know, we sort of, it really makes you, 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 we do value your staff, but it really makes you value them when you can see how they've adapted and, um, you know, work, work through this as well. So, um, that staff engagement and that level of staff engagement is something I want to take forward. And again, as I say, I think one of the key things in this for us is, is um, um, the flexibility in the workforce from a customer's perspective. You know, what have I seen there in terms of changing behavior? Um, customers um, more willing to take up um, a, a digital interaction in terms of the, 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 you know, the journey they go through in terms of having their car repaired with us. So it's quite interesting to hear uh, what Jane was saying in terms of this adoption of technology, uh, the acceptance of it, you know, the circumstances have, you know, almost forced it upon you. Um, you know, one of the take home points for me as well going forward in the future will be the adoption of technology. Um, you know, uh, we'll certainly be making changes to our IT for in infrastructure. Um, one of the learnings in this, and, and let me give you an example of that because that sounds like quite a, a broad brush statement without anything sitting behind it. But, and again, when we looked at how we had to operate and adapt our, our processes, um, you know, we learned very quickly what our, you know, our body shop management system could do for us. We knew what it could do for us, obviously, but you get to a point, you need it to do some more in such a changing situation. Um, so a real learning in that was I learned very quickly what it couldn't do. And, you know, we will be taking, uh, it's made us really focus on that and we're going to take action on that in terms of probably, uh, you know, changing the system um, and again we'll do that in a time frame that we probably never would have done you know you're constantly reviewing your IT infrastructure the security you know the fit for purpose now the fit for future um, so I think that's another another point that really sort of brought it home you know it's very easy when you're looking at something like that that's such a significant change in the business and brings a huge amount of um, I wouldn't say risk because lots of people have done it in the past but you feel the risk you know you can you know what all the pros are, you know what the cons are, you try to work out what the unintended consequences are. Um, and I think, you know, in, in, in previous times, we'd perfonticate on it a little bit more than we would. I think now we've got the confidence to, to make these big changes because we've had to make big changes. And actually, we've still been able to deliver a, 
a very good level of service to our customers. Um, you know, maintain that, 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 that continuation of service for them. But yeah, so, you know, without going around the houses too much, I think it's um, confidence in making more structural changes in and around the IT thing, I think is something that, uh, you know, will, will be something we'll be doing going forward. Great stuff. Now, Dave, in, insurers, if you like, are, are kind of historically known for, for not being the quickest movers. Um, the hand has been forced of everyone. Um, you know, has, has it been a surprise in terms of how quickly you, you can move? Is that something that's here to stay? You know, and, and what else have you kind of learnt about yourselves, I suppose? Uh, I'd fight back, but I fear you've probably got some uh, strength to your argument. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, no, I think, uh, I mean, obviously we operate in a highly regulated environment and therefore risk compliance and governance uh, can sometimes uh, slow things down. I think what you find in an experience such as this actually is that there are ways that you can move extremely quickly, even within that context and maintaining your regulatory compliance. And we were able to move unbelievably quickly in those first couple of weeks to protect the colleagues, protect the essential customer services, comply with the government advice on social distancing. And that involved seismic changes in the space of 10 working days uh, within our business, which we were able to manage and maintain compliance and maintain customer service. So to your point, uh, were we surprised that we could do that? Uh, I think most insurers were were, uh, were quite surprised at how quickly they were able to move to, uh, to satisfy uh, the demands that were upon them, both from colleagues and from customers. I think a lot of what Jane and Andy said there resonated with me. I think we've all become experts on Teams and Zoom uh, over this period. And I think that, that will stand us in good stead going forward, actually, and maybe make us think a little bit harder about that journey up and down to, to London, to those of us that aren't based in London. Uh, and whether that's uh, that's absolutely necessary and whether we're getting full value for that travel time. I think uh, all of us will reflect on that individually. When I think sort of more forward looking as you were, were pointing towards in your question, I think what this will definitely do, I'm not sure it'll change our future plans, but it has undoubtedly accelerated them. Our flexible working policy was smashed to bits in 10 days in terms of what we would do and how we would answer people's desire for more flexibility. So we've obviously had to rethink that sort of criteria and, and the, the colleagues themselves are rethinking what they want and some it's working for them working from home and some it isn't. Uh, mm -hmm. And so we'll, we're, we're conscious of that. And I think we're gonna all have to think very hard about our operating model going forward. I'm sure a lot of businesses now are looking at their location strategy about their, their resourcing strategy and how that's going to work going forward. I think for us, that sort of operating model consideration, business model consideration, I think definitely the lens of operational resilience and flexibility has gone probably up the list for everybody uh, as a result of this, as to how do you find a model that keeps you flexible to deal with shocks as significant as this to the system uh, without being in that sort of crisis management phase that most companies were in, having to set up specific teams to deal with the decision-making processes. So I think what this will do, it'll bring higher up the, uh, uh, the decision chain, that consideration around operational resilience, most definitely in flexibility. And to Andy's earlier point on an individual level on flexibility, I think that idea of all of our colleagues having a broader and deeper skill set rather than focusing in one area is definitely something we're focusing on within Tesco underwriting 
and that's very complementary to the further point regarding digitization. And I think the other thing that, that this whole COVID experience will do will undoubtedly accelerate that integration of a digitized portion of your workforce, which needs to be complementary to your working from home population, complementary to your remaining working from office population, how you integrate that, make that work well, optimize productivity. They're huge questions that all insurers will be wrestling with now, and we certainly are, as to what's going to be the best model for us to service the Tesco customers going into the future in this claims environment. But yeah, I think we've we're definitely accelerated that bringing in the digitization, the greater consider of automation and how we remove those very straightforward tasks from our operation to give our people the time to really give customers great service on the more complex, difficult and technical things. I think we're, we're all moving in that direction. This has accelerated that. Great oversight. Thank you very much indeed, Dave. Now, uh, I just refer back to a question that's come in uh, from Rob Smale. A great question, actually. Um, we, we've kind of referred to, uh, you know, changes in behaviours, changes in partnerships. And um, what things uh, that work providers and or suppliers are doing differently uh, during this period? Uh, would you like them to continue doing post-COVID and why? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I'll come to you, Jane, if I may, first. I think one of the things that we've um, engaged in is more regular contact with our um, partners and all of our suppliers. So I think we'd like to see that continue. Um, I think in our business, we've always been very data driven. Um, we're digital anyway. So access to all of our information is available 24 seven for all of our partners. So if you like, we, we've, been at the forefront of everything that's kind of required in a pandemic um, in terms of we've got a lot of self-service information available. Um, our auction vehicles are also um, available to view 24-7. So there isn't too much, um, you know, we would alter. I think it comes just down to the regularity of our contact. Um, I think, you know, we'll, we've definitely set up a regime now that will continue. And with our staff, again, um, very much, very similar to what David said, our flexible working policies have been tested and we're still delivering the service that we need to deliver. So I think we will be able to continue with more flexibility. And, and I guess that's, you know, that is demanded of us as time goes on. And I'm looking forward to us being a more flexible organisation. And the fact that we've got locations that are all interconnected nationwide, it allows us to have you know, good communication um, with all of our sites. And we're constantly looking to expand our business, look for more locations. Um, we have connectivity with all of our fleet network. So I think, I think for us, the things that we will continue and definitely recommend um, that's continued is just having much more investment in the digital space yeah and probably far more you know utilization of it i suppose if it's if it's already there it's you know it's almost bringing it to the fore right now and um hopefully you know sort of integrating it into to everyone's business in terms of your supply partners um D dave what you know specifically let's kind of reference the, the repair side of the world on this one what have 
you know, what, what, what's impressed you? What have they brought to the party that's kind of, you know, either changed things or, or just been something different that you've really thought, yeah, that's, that's great? Yeah, uh, well, I, I mean, as a whole, uh, I would say they've been fantastic and they've been absolutely integral in us being able to service and, and delight the customers in, in really difficult circumstances. And they've been absolutely key in some of the sort of extra little helps we've given to customers who needed things maybe over and above what we would ordinarily do because of the circumstances. Uh, and all of our repair chain uh, network providers in, in that area have been more than willing to go the extra mile. Uh, we always had, I mean, we always had, uh, whilst there were reductions in capacity, as you know, during that period, we're actually back now up to full capacity. And even in that period, we never had a point where we didn't have enough network capacity to service the customers who were still there and certainly to prioritize key workers for example who needed to be kept mobile to carry on doing what they were doing in the covid response we had to do a number of little things and the supply chain all the way through that were uh, were fantastically helpful always trying to do their uh, do the best and prepare to go the extra mile my my ask of the supply chain I guess, which is the answer to Rob's question principally, is what would I like to see more of and what would I like to see it continue? Is that I'd really like to see the collaboration and openness that we've seen over this period continue. So we had a couple of supply chain providers who were who were struggling, who needed some assistance and who came and talked to us and we had conversations uh, and, and we worked together and we found a way through it and, uh, and we came out the other side a lot closer and better for that engagement and discussion. And in years gone by, I probably that conversation would probably have never happened. So I would certainly rec recognise that as something that I I saw through this, and we encourage at all times in the supply chain. And I'd I continue to encourage that. I think what we want are partnerships, not a top-down demand supply. Here's what we need supply it to is hit these KPIs, or else. I think what I want is partnership and collaboration, and that openness. Can we solve problems together? If I'm seeing a problem in what I'm trying to provide to customers, can they help me? We certainly had excellent assistance from the supply chain in rolling out a recent bite-sized comms initiative and the, the customers have, have loved it. And that's really driven up our NPS again, giving customers regular bite-sized comms all the way through the repair chain, uh, which uh, previously we didn't do in a, in a bite-sized fashion, which we'd had some feedback saying we'd rather have it in smaller chunks. Thanks very much. And again, repair providers were chomping at the bit to partner with us and help us with that. So, yeah, I think uh, I'd say that's been a big positive and I'd like to see that continue. That's fantastic. And really great that, um, you know, those relationships are kind of moving on beyond, you know, simple repair mechanisms, if you like. You, you, allude, you know, you said it yourself, solving problems together. Um, that, that's great to hear. And Andy, you know, shoe on the other foot, if you like. Um, yeah. You know, what, what's been your kind of take on all of that? You've already alluded to it in, in previous answers, but, you know, is there any sort of standout that you think, yeah, that's, that's you know, that's been great for us? I think um, from my point of view, you know, when we are, you know, with any, any, any we've had a long-standing, very loyal customer base. The approach in our business is to enter into any any new customers, is, is to enter into a part, the spirit of partnership. You know, we don't see them as work providers. You know, we have customers, clients, and um, they, they're partners. So we've always had that approach. You know, we've a high level of um, interaction in terms of operational reviews and, you know, scheduled planned strategic reviews. 
I think um, when I look across the industry, I think one of the things that I'd like to see in place going forward, and I think we'll see this with our customers as well, is a real genuine um, attempt to put yourself in your customer's shoes and look at it from both sides. Um, you know, you sort of talk about what Dave's just said. You've, you've seen people really um, benefit from really trying to understand it from the other side and actually getting that common solution. So I think there'll be an intensification of people um, you know, uh, looking at looking at that as a um, a genuine want to understand your business and how we genuinely work together. Okay, brilliant. All right. Um, again, just moving the conversation on. It's fantastic. There's loads of questions coming through, which is brilliant today. So uh, hopefully, we'll kind of wrap those into uh, some of the subjects that we're we're going to discuss now. But um, so as restrictions, uh, you know, start to ease, business support packages are kind of you know gradually downscaled. What you know, are the key challenges respectively now that, that you are looking at within your own businesses? The human element to this is obviously massive. You know, how do you assess staff well-being? That comes through from, from Miles Keeble there. Uh, flexibility in work patterns, uh, that's from Nick Ascot. So if I can come to you, Dave, can I come across to you first? Can you touch upon any of those kind of areas for us? Um, you know, what, what, what are we kind of looking at right now in terms of business okay i see if i can do a whistle stop tour of those topics then so i think uh, <laughs> I, I mean mental health and well-being is uh, is a huge priority for tesco underwriting and something we take incredibly serious as a duty of care to our uh, our colleagues and employees and i touched on before that the working from home environment has really worked for some people but has not worked at all for others uh, and we're certainly conscious of that and we keep regular touch points with those colleagues who tell us that they're finding it hard uh, and we'll we'll try and uh, assist them through that through a variety of different uh, measures as a as a business and try and support them as much as we can. Uh, and when we do come back to the office, obviously uh, those people will be first on the list if it, if they prefer to work in an office environment. I think uh, when I look at the wider industry and that sort of uh, what's the biggest cha bigger challenges for the industry, I think. I, I worry about the perception of the industry as a, as a wider industry for insurers and a lot of it driven not necessarily by motor but driven by things like the business interruption and the, the headlines that go with that uh, and the perception that runs with that and I think it's a shame that we miss out on some of the good things that we're talking about being publicized as to all those helps the ABI pledges uh, they don't tend to cut through as well as people not paying business interruption claims in terms of the national press. So I worry about that perception uh, being out there and how we change that as a business and an industry. Uh, and we do need to work together to do that, definitely. Uh, and I think uh, as an industry, we've got to think long and hard about how going forward we publicize the good stuff. The ABI does a lot of good work in that area, but as I say, they're not always uh, as sexy a stories as, uh, as some of those other stories, I would say. But, uh, but yeah, I think that would be my main concern as an industry. I think as an individual employer in terms of providing that, that flexibility to, to work from home, which I think was Nick's question, I think is absolutely inevitable that uh, all, all operations, not just insurers who have large numbers of staff operating in a large office environment will need to reflect on their flexible working policy in the future. And uh, I'm sure they'll be seeing increased demand from their colleagues for flexible working requests. And that'll need to be considered as a, on a company wide basis, not on an individual basis. 
and as I say, I think there's been a big acceleration of flexible working policy as a whole, and it'll need to continually be refreshed through this. I would envisage we will see a significantly more flexible workforce in the future. We will see an integrated workforce between digital, between working from home, between working from office, and you will see people, to answer Nick's question, working in those different out-of-hours times, providing those services to suit their needs. If they're highly productive employees and the only way they can be productive is to work in those hours, then we'd want to work with them to find a way so they can contribute. So, yeah, it would make sense for the employee and the employer. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Andy, I'll come across to you on that note. Um, you know, from, from, a, from a repairer perspective, bringing the staff back into the business, you know, obviously the rules are changing in terms of around furlough, part-time contributions as of next month, end of furlough, October kind of thing. Again, you know, how are you managing all of that at the moment? Uh, and again, you know, within terms of what Dave's saying, are we looking at more sort of flexibility, flexible hours, perhaps for the future for repairers? Um, I think really for me, you know, the, when we've seen the sort of a downscaling of the government support packages, um, that's going to be a massive challenge for the, the body shop sector, accident repair sector. You know, we, yeah, Motorfix, we're in a very strong financial position. We haven't taken any government loans or support. Um, lots of others have, um, and I think that's going to be a massive challenge going forward, certainly as we move into Q4 and Q1 next year. Um, I think I think that's a, a, a real hard one to call, but there's going to be a, a lot of difficulty within the accident repair sector once those packages start to um, get withdrawn. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, okay. Hey, right, a few more minutes. Uh, Jane, um, if you like... What's the key business focus for you, for Copart, um, for the organisation, arguably your sector as a whole, if you like? You know, what, what's the kind of, you know, where you're really looking, where your site sets within the next couple of weeks? Is it that return in volume? Is it looking at how you do things differently? Is it bringing more people back in from furlough? You know, how, how's that looking for you right now? So, um, well, as an organisation, we haven't... Um, we haven't sort of gone through the furlough process we've um and as andy alluded to we're also um a very sort of cash rich company so we haven't had to loan against our business to continue so that's been really positive for us and um, i think we will continue with some of the work flexible working where we can certainly in our contact center areas i think we'll look to extend our operating hours so that we can continue with off, um, offering more flexibility. Um, some of the things we are looking at doing is changing some of the timetable for our auctions. So we might run some in the evening, we might run some at the weekends. So things that are different to what we've done normally, we've, we've um, surveyed, sort of survey monkeyed our um, business partners during this period to get their feedback on how we've operated. Um, we surveyed our staff and we surveyed our members. So we've got a lot of intelligence now that we can work with. Um, so we will be making some changes, but on a positive side, you know, for the insurance partners, there's been a, a reduction in um, sort of claims and total loss cases during this period, um, which has been kind of fortunate for them in one sense. Um, we've seen a, a very much an uptick in the returns of salvage um, probably the highest um, auction returns that we've ever seen. So I think um, I think you know that's very positive for our industry. 
Um, and also there's um, a keen interest in the people that buy the vehicles from us. I um, very much look to use the green parts network for repair. So that's a positive step as well um, in, the, in terms of recycling. And um, so I think, you know, we've actually um, potentially going to come out of this um, in a very strong position, I think, which is, um, you know, it's it sort of, it's a difficult thing to say really when a lot of organisations are experiencing a lot of difficulty. You know, we're one of the ones that does have um, a good experience in a downturn market or in a recession. Um, so I think it's something that, you know, we're just, we're just looking at and observing on a, on a week by week basis at the moment. Brilliant. Great stuff. Um, Andy, you're kind of, if you like, uh, one of the key timelines or, uh, you know, defining moments that you're looking at currently with, within the business. Um, um, for me, I suppose in the short term, you know, staff and customer welfare, um, we're going to keep a really tight rein on all of the measures that we've put in place across the group. Um, I suppose the second point for me would be around... Um, continued focus on you know really positive high quality repairs and positive outcomes for our customers in terms of timelines you know we need to get out of this pandemic um you then move to how does society start to uh behave again in a, as it did previously and i think they are the first two for me and you know once society goes back to operating and interacting how it did that will then really kind of define you know what, what the future looks like so in terms of being able to predict um how the market's going to function and in terms of claims volumes and and you know the softer side of things how, how people interact with each other so uh you know for me they're the kind of three type, three key points to look at in terms of stepping through um the next few months okay brilliant dave very briefly just to finish off your next week or two uh you know <laughs> where you don't you want to <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, well, I guess, I mean, I'm looking at this in sort of, if you like, three different time lenses. So we need to secure secure the current delivery that we've got, both continuity of service uh, and making sure we look after colleagues through this process. We need to accelerate the recovery, which I think is going to be probably more complex and challenging for all of us uh, coming out of this than it was coming into it, given the longer tail nature of it. Uh, but we need to accelerate that and land that correctly. And for the medium to longer term, obviously the planning is more about, as I touched on before, operating model, operational resilience, flexibility of, of workforce, uh, and analyzing changing customer demands and customer needs over that period and seeing how that impacts our operating model as well. Brilliant. All right. Wonderful stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Now, uh, those listening in, we have got some questions still in the box. So what we'll do is I will catch up uh, with the three panellists after the session today and see if we can uh, get some responses there and get those posted up on the ILC website. Uh, leave us a message in the chat room. Let us know what you thought of today's session. A huge thank you uh, to Andy, Jane and Dave for your contributions today. Thank you very much for taking time out of the busy diary. I know it's uh, a million and one things and plates spinning at the moment, but really appreciate that. Um, obviously, again, huge thank you to our corporate partners and our partners for continuing to support these webinars. Uh, we'll be back again next week. This webinar will go live, recording will go live first thing tomorrow morning. It will also be reproduced as a podcast. So for those who uh, need to get uh, time away from the screen, you can listen to it on the go instead. So uh, thanks once again, Andy, Jane and Dave. 
and thank you everyone for joining us we'll catch up all with you soon take care thank you bye okay and there we have it uh, another fantastic insight uh, from across the industry and uh, it's really interesting to see how everyone is uh, kind of looking at things in a slightly different light now and how uh, the kind of situation I suppose is so fluid um, looking at obviously people's return to work some of the major things some of the key timelines in terms of um, uh, easing of restrictions uh, and also you know a bit further afield a bit of a longer term vision in terms of where we might be in 6, 12, 18 months and beyond so uh, so great insight once again hope you've enjoyed it huge thank you again to our corporate partners ASIS, BMS, CAPS, Cobart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Ventacar, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance and S&G Response and of course to our partners the Green Park Specialists in DASA and the Innovation Group Thanks very much for joining us once again and look forward to catching up with you uh, next week. Take care all.